Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And um, a very warm welcome to you all today, back to to the Parish of Calvary St. George's, St. George's Church. Our... um, readings today, I think all three of them come together and uh, convey to us uh, the power and the meaning of wisdom. And for the sake of my sermon, I have three points that will touch on all three of the readings. The first thing that I want to talk about a little bit is what is wisdom exactly? And then second, we're going to take a look at what is the substance of actually biblical wisdom. What's the substance? Who and what is the substance of biblical wisdom? And then three, as a Christian, what's the purpose? What purpose does wisdom play in my day-to-day life, in the here and the now? So our Old Testament reading is probably one of the most famous stories in the entire Old Testament, in the entire Bible for that matter. And uh, the context is uh, Solomon is set to succeed his father David as the king of Israel. Now here is the issue. There's a big issue here, several of them. But Solomon, the first one, isn't the oldest son, uh, nor was he the favored son. And the reason why he wasn't the favored son is because Solomon is the love child of a, uh, well, a very scandalous affair that David had uh, that uh, ended up in the mistress's husband, Uriah the Hittite, being sent to the front lines and killed. So Solomon has always been kind of in the background. And therefore, Solomon did not receive kind of the oversight and the apprenticeship that might have been necessary for the office that he's about to undertake. The other thing that's going on is that Israel is in kind of complete disarray at this time. You know, they are a theocracy and they are to worship one true God. And they're worshiping God at all of these different high places. Even Gideon, where Solomon uh, encounters, um, encounters God, uh, is a high place. And so uh, the authors here of Kings are always trying to remind people that, that um, you know, but Solomon is reaching out to God and God is reaching out to him in this place. Because Gideon eventually becomes one of these places where pagan worship takes place. The other thing is, is there's, um, there's a tension building amongst all of these different factions, and there is a lot of family issues going on, and the country is just huge and unmanageable, and so all Solomon can do is cry out, I'm only a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Or in other words, what Solomon is saying in this moment is, I have no idea what the heck I am doing. And it's here, at the end of his rope, here at the end of your rope that we oftentimes find God's office. And God speaks to Solomon and he says, ask what I shall give you. Boy, that's quite an offer when you really begin to think about it, isn't it? What would you ask for if the question was posed to you? When you think about it, though, get down to it. Is this question actually any different than what Jesus proposes to us in his Sermon on the Mount? What we just sang, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you? Solomon prayed in response to God's proposal, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. 
that I may discern between good and evil. Solomon essentially asks for wisdom. And we're told that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. When you read the text in the Hebrew, it reads as if God is almost shocked by the request. Like, are you kidding? You didn't ask for like a Porsche? You know, you didn't ask for the heads of your enemies? You didn't ask for three more wishes? You know? But think about this divine encounter in light of your own prayer life. And in the light of the own, your own things that seem to be unmanageable in your life. Give your servant an understanding mind to perform my job, to love and care for my spouse, to be reconciled maybe with my parents or my children, to be a generous and good citizen, a neighbor, a member of this parish. Give your servant an understanding mind that in all of these things I might discern between good and evil. I might have actual wisdom. Sounds like Jesus' meaning of wisdom. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And this is my first point. An understanding mind and heart that can discern between good and evil is the essence of ultimately what wisdom is all about. Now, there are two types of wisdom in this world two types of wisdom in this world, and one might label them worldly and biblical wisdom. But worldly wisdom, because it is often clouded by our sinful natures and our own egos and everything else, it typically defines human responsibility and situations in terms of morality. It roots everything in what we do, yadam dasein, to each his own, which leads to either absolutes or uncertainty absolutes or uncertainty. And we as Christians, like the rest of the world, we can get caught up in these two loops. Churches, states, individuals. We all love to set up these systems, you know? Systems of merit and define that as wisdom. Finding ourselves to be good or bad according to that wisdom. And then what we love to do is we love to set up the systems to aim to prove that God agrees with us accordingly. I remember I was talking to a judge one time who was a warden at another church, and their church was going through a bit of a conflict, a bit of a a major conflict. And uh, we were talking about it. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, why is it in religious institutions, why is it in churches that sometimes conflicts can just become so extreme? And he said, well, I think it's because everybody thinks that God is ultimately on their side, you know. My friend Nadia Boltz-Weber once time told me, she said, Jake, whenever you find yourself so rooted on one side of the fence, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you are on, typically Jesus is on the other. And uh, (laughs) I think that's right. We can get so caught up in either indecisions or absolutes according to worldly wisdom because it roots everything in what we do. However, biblical wisdom, the ability to discern between good and evil, as Christians, biblical wisdom finds its roots not in morality or in a code of ethics that can be fluid, but in the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is teaching about in our gospel reading. Remember, 
parables, and if, you, if they've been baptized in worldly wisdom, this oftentimes happens. Parables are not fables. But when they've been baptized in worldly wisdom, they immediately become fables. They're not lessons with morality tales at the end. Like how many times have you heard the sermon, of the, of the parable of the sower, and the minister, he, his crescendo is always like, you better be good soil, make yourself good, like soil does anything? No, soil is just soil. These are descriptions of how God, how God and his wisdom operate in the world. These are earthly illustrations of biblical wisdom. And in the five parables today, Matthew 13, it's almost like a crescendo, like fireworks. Bang, bang, bang. They come right at you. And it begins to tell us that biblical wisdom always begins with God. It has God as the active agent. Biblical wisdom must be heard and it must be believed. Not seen, because this wisdom comes to you as hidden, leavening. It's a word that comes to you, hidden in water. It comes to you in a small seed that we're about to remember in in a supper we celebrate Sunday after Sunday. It comes to you in words of forgiveness that you hear from this pulpit. And in the case of Solomon, it always qualifies the call. It doesn't necessarily call the qualified. And this wisdom is counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive. It's like a treasure hidden in an abandoned field where nobody would dare look. It's a treasure buried in, with, and under the world and its history. And this treasure is the wisdom of God. The Word made flesh, crucified, and then buried bursted forth and ascended for the salvation of the world. And therefore, this wisdom is like a merchant. Not the pearl. See, that keeps you as the protagonist, looking for this pearl of great price. No, no. The wisdom of God is the merchant. And the pearl is the world. It's rare in the universe. Although, who who knows now, you know, with the discovery of aliens... What is it? Uh, I saw this great meme, and it said, 2023, normal people, aliens are real, and conspiracy theorists, no, they're not. That was supposed to be screamingly funny. But anyway, um, I digress. But this world is rare. But more than just simply the world, wisdom sees you as that great pearl. For when the Son of God looked upon this world, which for all of its history has basically been a dumpster fire, um, he looked at it, And he saw you as that priceless pearl he just had to own. And so he literally cashed in everything to possess you and claim you as his own. Therefore, this wisdom isn't simply a fishing rod. This wisdom is a net full of fish. It sinks to the bottom and comes and captures you where you least not expected. You weren't even looking for it. And this wisdom, as opposed to hook and bait, It catches everything in the sea. Good fish, bad fish, you know, seaweed, snakes, turtles, even the occasional shoe. It catches it all and it just kind of brings it out on the beach. And what this last parable, the parable of the fishing net, what it does is that it demonstrates the universality of God's wisdom and the love God has for the world. 
Because you and I are so often caught in a loop of absolutes or undecisions. This wisdom just brings it all in and saves it all. Kit and caboodle. Every sin answered for. Every sinner atoned for. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our sins against us. And so this is my second point. What is biblical wisdom? Or what's the content of it for you and for me? Well, isn't, it isn't some form of abstraction, you know, that leaves us questioning, well, what does God want? What's the will of God? The will of God is that you believe in the one whom he sent, and now go live your life for the sake of your neighbor. Biblical wisdom, you see, finds its source not in a sense of morality and rules with winners and losers. losers. Biblical wisdom, first and foremost, finds its source in the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the forgiveness of sins in the work of Jesus Christ for you. Biblical wisdom, then, the ability to discern between good and evil, begins and ends in the cross of Jesus. In the cross of Christ, I glory. No matter what we do or don't do, God in Christ is for you. I mean, this is what the renewing of the mind is all about. It's about reminding yourself day in and day out, no matter what, God will not forsake you. Therefore, biblical wisdom frees us up to live graciously and mercifully and lovingly for the sake of our neighbors. It frees us up to take risks and make mistakes, learning and confessing our sins and then being set free to try again. For biblical wisdom teaches us, as St. Paul states in our epistle reading, we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. I mean, that's amazing news. You can't lose. Contrast that with King Solomon at the end of his life. This is why we need David's greater son. Because King Solomon, who at the end of his life had forgotten this great truth, and had made alliances with everyone around him, trying to save his own skin, which eventually led to the divide of the two kingdoms, Samaria in the north, Judah in the south. And all he could say at the end of his life in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity, vanity. All is vanity. And this is why we look around us as well. And all we can say is vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Because if it's about some sort of fluid moral code at the center, well then your ideas of wisdom will always be changing, will always be disappointing you, and will leave you saying vanity as well. But when Christ, Him, the crucified Lord, that's the beginning, is at the center. Well, then biblical wisdom begins to play an everyday part of your life. It opens the day up with confession. Maybe I don't have all the answers. It opens us up 
to let it all go, especially when things go horribly wrong because of someone else's decision or your decision or your indecision. Biblical wisdom reminds us, once again, as St. Paul points out in our epistle, this is why Romans chapter 8 is so amazing, because St. Paul points out that God does all the verbs. God does all the verbs. He foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. He glorified you. And while your life is hidden in Christ right now, it is as good as done. God has done them all for you. And so biblical wisdom enables us in the here and the now to drop our vanity, everything else that we identify ourselves with, and cling to Christ all the more especially when the going gets tough, when life becomes difficult, often because of the risks we have may have taken for Christ and our neighbor. St. Paul reminds us here in Romans, in Romans chapter 8, that this side of the grave, true life, true life can sometimes appear to the world as defeat, Is that all you got? A little bread and wine? You know, is that all you got? A little word? Yeah. And we cling to it all the more. And while this wisdom of God can appear foolishness to the world, it really is the power of God unto salvation. So this is my third point. Where else are we ultimately to go? Who else foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified you already? Biblical wisdom reminds you daily in your life, no matter what, that your life is indeed hidden in Christ. Yet Christ is a done deed for your good. So never forget this. Day by day, renew your mind with this wonderful truth. You have been baptized into this wisdom. And in the midst of life and its constant struggles, in the midst of life and death all around us, this wisdom enables you to know and confess in the here and now, along with Whitney Houston, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is biblical wisdom. That, my friends, is the kind of wisdom that will see you through your many deaths in this age and through the big death at the end. For that wisdom, biblical wisdom is to die for because that wisdom, biblical wisdom, has already died and risen for you. Your life is secure. Your life is safe in Christ Jesus. So you're free to live your life wisely in this age for the sake of your neighbors. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.